Good morning. Can you hear me through this? This. Uh, my name's Alex. Welcome to church this morning. If you are visiting us, you're really, really welcome here. Uh, it's been a big week. And I'm sure it's been an indescribably hard and sad week for some members of our church, most notably our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters. I think we can all agree that the discussion about the referendum has sometimes been polarizing, inflammatory, and even downright racist. There's been hateful speech and actions. There's been violence done in words, ideas, and behavior. And for Indigenous Australians, this is nothing new. In fact, it's probably some version of what many of you, I'm sure, have experienced throughout your lives. And the injustice of this is disgusting. It's unjust that the first inhabitants of this country had their lives and their lands stolen and their humanity dismissed by the British invaders and a long time afterwards as well. It's unjust that children were taken from their families because of the color of their skin. It's unjust that a significant gap still exists between outcomes for indigenous and non-indigenous Australians in health, education and employment. And this week's also been hard because of the horrors and suffering we've seen in Israel and Palestine. The complications of that war, the, the distorted views of justice and retribution that have resulted in terrorism and devastating destruction. Trying to pull out the threads of how justice can ever be achieved seems beyond our abilities. When we see these kinds of gross injustice in the world, we can feel hopeless and our hearts might cry out to God. Where is he? What is he doing? Does God even care about justice? Or is he just sitting comfortably up in heaven watching us all rip each other to pieces? Does God really care about justice? Well, last week we started a mini-series in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. And in chapter one, when we asked the question, does God really love us? This was an urgent question for the Israelites in Malachi's day. The ruling Persian empire had allowed them to return from exile to Jerusalem so that they could rebuild the temple and the city. But God's people were still living with hardship and suffering. They didn't seem to be experiencing the blessing of God's promises, and their disappointment had morphed into a cynical, ugly attitude towards God. And so throughout the book of Malachi, we see a series of confrontations between God and his people, of questions asked and evidence presented. Israel is putting God on trial. So in chapter one, God declared his, commit, his committed covenant love for Israel, uh, but was met with the disbelieving question, how have you loved us? And in response, God showed them how he chose them in love and had blessed them in the past. And he then turned the tables on Israel and asked his own questions. Why are they not giving him the honor and respect due to him as their Lord and King? How do they think they'll get away with rejecting his love? 
Don't they realize how insulting and repulsive their sin is to God? And in the rest of chapter 2, which we don't have uh, time to get into properly, we see how Israel's rejection of God's love plays out. The leaders are abusing their power and preventing people from knowing God, while the people are disobedient to God's law, hypocritical, selfish, and violent towards the vulnerable. And even though they've been caught red-handed in their sin, Israel is still making excuses and trying to explain their way out of it. No wonder Malachi the prophet says to the people at the beginning of our reading, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And the people brazenly respond, how? How have we wearied him? Uh, This word to weary in ancient Hebrew, which is the original language that Malachi was written in, is used to talk about fatigue from physical toil and grief. The Lord has worked himself to the bone to show his love for Israel. He's put himself out there again and again to try and heal the relationship. And yet, again and again, all the people have for God are excuses, contempt, and hatred. And here we get a glimpse of how we can cause God pain by rejecting his love and denying our sin. Not that God is helplessly moved by his emotions like humans can be. God is God, so he's different to us. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. But humanity is made in God's image, and that means that our emotions reflect God's perfect, holy emotions in some filtered way. God isn't a feelingless monster. He feels and chooses to be passionately moved by his creation, by us. He mourns, he rejoices, and here God is exhausted. He's just totally done with Israel's excuses. So in verse 17, God presents his evidence. Israel has wearied him, he says, by by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? So their argument is that because those who who do evil seem to be getting away with it and even prospering, then God must delight in those who do evil. The Israelites' claim is shocking. They're claiming that the Lord, whose very name defines him as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that the Lord Almighty has reversed the order of morality. Evil is good, and good is evil. The people look around and see oppression, deceit, corruption, and cruelty. And they ask the question, how can a compassionate gracious God exist? How could he allow this to happen? Either he must be unjust and doesn't care, or he's weak and can't change anything. Does God really care about justice? Well, God has a reply. He says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord Almighty. 
So God turns Israel's own words back on them. The people had been cynically asking one another, where is the God of justice? Well, now they better watch out because the one they've been looking for, look, he's coming. They'd also accuse God of delighting in those who do evil. Well, now they better watch out because God's messenger, whom they think will bring them delight, look, here he comes. God is coming to his people in all his overwhelming glory. First, he'll send a messenger, like a town crier who will announce his coming. But then, even though there's been a messenger to prepare the way, the Lord will arrive suddenly and unexpectedly. And it will not be delightful for God's people. In 1982, uh, the HMS Sheffield, which was a 3,500 ton destroyer in the British Royal Navy, was deployed to fight in the Falkland War between England and Argentina. The destroyer was protected by a sophisticated defense uh, system, weapons defense system, that took out any missiles that were headed its way. But a single missile fired by an Argentine fighter jet got through and sank the ship. Questions were asked about, about whether the technology had failed to detect the missile. But no, the Sheffield's defense systems did pick up the incoming missile and correctly identified it as a French-made missile called an Exocet. However, the computer was programmed to ignore Exocets as friendly. So despite all the warnings, the Sheffield was sunk by a missile it saw coming and could have evaded. The Israelites had ignored all the warnings. Malachi is just the latest in a long line of prophets who were sent by God to point Israel to his coming. But they've ignored the warnings, and so when God comes, his people will be caught unawares. Well, Israel's been asking all the questions so far, but now, as we saw last week, God reverses the interrogation and turns the questions back onto Israel. He says through his prophet Malachi, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? The Lord will come to his people and he will bring judgment. That's why Israel needs a warning. The people had looked around and seen oppression, deceit, corruption and cruelty but they'd fail to see that they were complicit. They were the perpetrators of this injustice. Israel was meant to exist as God's representatives on earth, his chosen people who would reflect God's compassion and kindness to all nations. But instead, their behavior was more cruel, more violent, more selfish than any other nation. And so God says he will come like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So our process uh, by which we refine silver today is still based on the method developed in the ancient world. The unrefined silver is placed in a furnace which needs to reach temperatures of 1,000 to 1,500 degrees Celsius so that the metal melts and the dross, that's the lead and other impurities, that dross is removed and the pure molten silver is then drawn off. 
The picture of launderer's soap is an equally harsh method of purification, and Malachi is referring to a caustic soap, so like a bleaching agent, which removes all dirt, every embedded stain to produce bright white clothing. So this isn't the cleaning process you want your delicate laundry items to go through. When God comes to his people, he will come as a 1,000 degree flame, as a harsh bleaching agent to judge, to reveal the true state of their hearts and to remove anything sinful or unjust. Uh, God continues to spell out what his coming means in verse 5. He says, So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. God will stand witness against his people. The Lord Almighty will give damning testimony against those who have perpetrated injustice, against those who attempt to control the future by lies and manipulation, against those who are unfaithful to others, against those who deliberately twist the truth for their own benefit. He will give damning testimony against those who use their own privilege and power to trample down those with less power, against those who ignore the refugee and take advantage of the poor. And he will be quick to testify. Because he's the Lord Almighty who sees and knows everything, he doesn't need to call other witnesses. He has witnessed the crimes he will judge. He knows their motiva motivations, and so his judgment will be quick, and his rulings just. Our hearts cry out for justice. We long for the truth to be recognised, for unjust actions to be made right, and for those who have perpetrated injustice to be held accountable. In the lead up to yesterday's referendum, there was real hope that a yes vote for an Indigenous voice to Parliament could be a significant step in bringing justice for Australia's First Nations people. A victory in this referendum might have promised change and greater equality for some of the most vulnerable members of our society. For some, this defeat feels like a crushing blow to justice. But even if the voice had been enshrined in the Constitution, it would never bring perfect justice. No law, no government, no earthly justice system is perfect. And even God's own people can ignore, misunderstand, or even actively work against justice. There's sometimes a reluctance to rock the boat when we see injustice. There can be an apathy towards it because we're not directly affected. And there can be a horrible confusion about how sin, repentance, and reconciliation work. Larissa mentioned to me last week that some Christians were reluctant to support the yes vote because they wanted to follow Jesus' command to be peacemakers. But as Larissa pointed out, that's a misunderstanding of how peace works. Jesus had to die in order to bring peace between us and God. 
Peace can't be won while there is injustice. Peace has to be fought for. The Israelites in Malachi had demanded to know, does God really care about justice? And God responds, yes, I do. I see the injustice that's being done, even amongst my own people. And I will hold the unjust accountable. And he says, will you be able to stand when I come in judgment? This prophecy in Malachi was gloriously fulfilled in Jesus' first coming to earth. John the Baptist was the messenger sent ahead to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord Almighty, the one who came to his people in judgment and love. That's what we saw in our reading from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus didn't pull any punches in rebuking the religious leaders who perpetrated injustice. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you, teachers of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Not only did Jesus call out injustice, he also experienced the worst injustice in the history of the world. He was completely innocent of wrongdoing and yet suffered torture and death. And by willingly submitting himself to this, Jesus was held accountable for our injustice. He washes us clean and protects us from the judgment we deserve. Perhaps you've never claimed the cleansing and the protection that Jesus offers. You might have never understood or never cared that Jesus' death takes the penalty we deserve for our injustice, and he did it because he loves us. The invitation to come to Jesus to find healing and forgiveness, that invitation is open now. Now for our church on this day, I don't think a strong message of rebuke and challenge from Malachi is particularly helpful or even relevant. Most of us, I'm sure, are aware that we don't care about justice as much as God wants us to. We don't enact justice in our words or our buying practices or our daily activities as perfectly as we should. But I know many of you devote yourselves to the pursuit of justice in a myriad of ways. And God delights that you share his heart for justice. As you campaign for equality, as you care for the broken, as you share food at the real meal, as you use your, your professional skills to advocate, as you visit people in hospital and prison, as you give money and pray, God delights that you share his heart for justice. So what does this passage in Malachi have to say to us on this day, the day after the voice referendum, when many of us may be feeling hopeless and defeated? Well, I want to draw out two things that Malachi does. Firstly, this passage comforts us in our grief at injustice. 
The Israelites in Malachi's day were a mixed bunch. Uh, the prophet is clearly addressing those in Israel who were, uh, who were abusing the powerless and perpetrating injustice. But there were others in Israel who were faithful to God. There were those who were experiencing the injustice and there were those who perhaps weren't suffering themselves but still lived in obedience to God. And we'll find out more about them in next week's passage. And for these people, God's true people, Malachi the prophet brought words of comfort and hope. Uh, Looking at the list of crimes in verse 5, for example, for those who suffered as victims of unfaithfulness, deception, fraud, oppression and dispossession, God's promise to come in judgment would have brought immense comfort. They could be certain that God cared about their suffering and he would come with his perfect love and power to do something about it. For those of us who have experienced injustice, the Bible gives us words to express our pain and our anger to God. The Psalms particularly are full of songs and poems that we're invited to use as our own to express to God our desire for justice. Uh, In Psalm 69, David, King David, prays to God, you know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. And so David then prays against his enemies. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. Now, we wouldn't pray these kinds of things against the person who cuts us off in traffic. But when God's people experience extreme ongoing violence and oppression, these kinds of words bring comfort and hope. God cares about the suffering of his people and he will come with his power and his love to do something about it. And for those of us who haven't personally experienced this kind of oppression, Malachi encourages us to stand and pray in solidarity with victims of injustice, to weep with those who weep and also receive the comfort of knowing that God cares about injustice and he will come and do something about it. The second thing that this passage in Malachi does is that it motivates us to keep fighting for justice. Probably not today or tomorrow. We need to rest and heal. And when I say fight for justice, I don't mean in a violent way. We know that God cares about justice, so he will take care of it which frees us from seeking retribution or revenge. But at the same time, these words in Malachi motivate us to keep fighting because our work is not in vain. Perhaps you're feeling burnt out from advocating and campaigning, and sometimes you might wonder if there's any point to continuing. Does God really care about justice? But there is a point to fighting for justice now. Because God cares deeply about injustice, he is delighted with the work we do now. 
he strengthens us to keep going. And one day when Jesus returns, he will extend and perfect our work for justice in ways that we can't even imagine. As we work for justice, we work for God's kingdom. This is a fight worth continuing. Does God really care about justice? Yes. He sees. He is coming in judgment. And these promises give us comfort in the midst of injustice and they motivate us to keep fighting for the perfect justice of God's kingdom. Let me pray and then we'll stand and sing our next song. God of justice, thank you that you are good and you are just. Thank you that you stand on the side of the vulnerable and the oppressed and you are against those who are proud and cruel. Transform our hearts so that we always act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen.